going. Thank you, team. Awesome. For those of you today, some of you may not, um, you may be considering the claims of Christianity. And today you, you think, okay, it's Christmas coming up in one week's time. C.S. Lewis said something very important. He said, one thing Christianity cannot be. It's impossible. It cannot be moderately important. It's either of no importance and you should forget it. Or if what Jesus said was true, it's of infinite importance. Now some of you have never actually heard that Christianity, one of the reasons why I'm a Christian is because it's true. I have a little book here from some of my friends who wrote this. And it's called, What If Christianity Is Actually True? Some of you have never crossed that bridge. If you'd like a copy of this, I have a few up the back. I'm going to leave some down here at the front. You can help yourself. But I would only ask you, if, it, if you'd like one, please take it. If you're going to use it or give it to somebody who could find some value in the truth or the evidential nature of Christianity. So I'll just commend that to you as we come up to Christmas. Okay. One of the things I want to talk about today, last week we talked about some of the eternal realities. This moment in time that we live is very temporary. And last week we talked about the reality of eternity. And that eventually we'll spend our rest of our life, every person that's ever been born, and even as alive today, will spend their eternity in one of two locations. Separated from God, or with God. Last week, we looked at being separated from God, how that happens, and how you can do something about that. Today, I want to pick up on heaven. Now, the Bible says that we are aliens. Aliens and strangers on earth. Actually, when I first went to America, you know what I was called? My legal status? I was a resident alien. That's what it was, a resident alien. Hang on, I'm here, but I don't belong here. And in one sense, you are a resident alien. You are here, but you do not belong here. And this is, we're going to pick it up. Dear friends, I urge you, there's some chutzpah in that. I urge you, as aliens, or temporary residents, just temporary, and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires. Which war against your soul? Now, if we have an inner awareness of the presence of Jesus in our hearts, and it's not just some intellectual concept, and our eternal home that we're here as resident aliens, but we're only here for a very temporary time, then it helps us persevere through the rough times in life and through temptation in life. The moment we lose that, it's very easy to succumb to the river of this world. Now, the problem I've noticed is that even some Christians, they find it surprisingly easy. You know, this is very nice if you haven't got a chair today. Boy, oh boy. Actually, you know what it was in the old Jewish times? The teacher used to sit and everybody else used to stand. That's the truth. You go look at that, but I'm not going to do that. It is amazing to me that many of God's children give little thought to their eternal destiny. A little thought. Now, isn't that strange? Here's the problem, though. I think I found out the reason why, why people do that. And that is this, is that Christians typically see heaven as an incomprehensible mystery. And they don't realize how exciting and how much better than earth it is. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I actually do like some of this earth. I love fishing. Mm-hmm. I love the sea. I love, you know, the sunsets. I love some of the beauty. But everything on this earth is corrupted. It's a shadow of its former self. No relationship is perfect here on earth because it is corrupted by sin. Everything runs downhill. The weather isn't perfect. Yeah, we know that, although it's been pretty darn good recently, especially for New Zealand. Mike, take note. This is good weather. All right? But thankfully, God has given us some glimpses into heaven in his word. Yet, I fear that many of our ideas of heaven on the typical Christian has been thoroughly corrupted through Hollywood. You know, an uninformed guessing. Let me just tell you something, Martin and Grant. You'll be very glad that when you get to heaven, you will not be rolling around in all white. You will not have wings. That's Hollywood's misconception of all that stuff. You won't be a fat, chubby little angel. (laughs) Martin, you'll be glad about that. (laughs) And you won't be rolling around the joint playing a harp. That's a whole, that's totally uninformed. To me, that would actually be hell. (laughs) I couldn't think of anything more boring. I used to have to do an hour's music practice on the piano in the morning and an hour at night. My mother was a tough taskmaster. Let me tell you, it got old after a while. So that ain't going to happen there. So today I'm going to straighten up a few misperceptions that have been commonly propagated by Hollywood. Let's kick off. And if you've got your Bibles, I want to encourage you to pull them open to Colossians 3.1. The Bible says this. Since you have been raised to new life, that's not the old life, the new life with Christ, here's a point. Set your sight. Aim for, set your sight on the realities of heaven. That is far more permanent than this temporal place that we'll have here. Circle realities of heaven. Again, not what Hollywood would try and sell you a whole bill of goods on. So you sit your side on the realities of heaven, Scripture says, where Christ sits at God's right hand in a place of honor and to power. So today I'm going to quickly answer five questions. There's a whole bunch of stuff we could have covered here, but for sake of time, I've narrowed it down to five questions. What is heaven? Where is it? What's it like? How do we get into it? And what should we be doing if we are going to heaven? So first of all, what's heaven? Now the Bible tells us many things. Some of you may want to pick this up and go read this in your own time. In fact, this week, I've got a computer and on my computer I've got all these Bibles and I was able to scan. Do you know the word and the concept of heaven is mentioned over 600 times in the scripture? 600. How many of those could you name if you had to? 600. In fact, in the book of Matthew alone, there are over 70 references to heaven. In the book of Matthew alone. Somehow we've missed this. Like, how did I miss that? In Matthew alone. And just again, the one, I guess, overview again, over 80% of the books in the Bible mention heaven. Pretty amazing, eh? But how much does it focus? Have you set your sights on heaven? Or have you missed that one? Set your sights on heaven. So, I'm going to focus on three particular aspects. Number one, heaven is where God lives and he rules. We sang about that today. 
In the Bible, it's called God's dwelling place. It's called the city of God. 31 times, Jesus calls it the kingdom of heaven. That's where God lives and rules. It's where God not only lives, but rules. So, the Bible says in Psalm 123 verse 1, Lord, I look up to you, up to heaven where you rule. Second, it is a real place. Another dimension, but a real place. It's not something intangible or ethereal. We're starting to just understand some of this stuff now. When you get into quantum physics, there's a whole other dimension that we're grasping. Billions are being spent by Samsung, IBM, you name it, banks. Because there's a whole other dimension. We are completely ignorant of it. We only just discovered some of this stuff. In fact, the Bible says that in heaven there are streets, there are trees, there's water, there's homes, there's a physical place. And by the way, you will have a physical body. And the same, the same type of physicality that Jesus had after he was resurrected. He said, hey, come give me me. Come here, Thomas. Put your hand there. Touch this. It's a real physical thing. But yet, it can do the Star Wars thing and walk through walls just like Jesus did. Another dimension. Jesus said this in John 14 too, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place, circle that, a place for you. So heaven is a real place. It is not a state of mind. And Jesus said this in Matthew 6.20, Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths or rust can't destroy and where thieves can't break in or steal. Now, we'll enjoy the treasures that are not susceptible to decay because everything on this planet decays. Second law of thermodynamics. Now, if heaven was just a state of mind, you couldn't store anything there. But he says you can store treasure in heaven. Third, heaven was designed for us. For you. For you and me to live with God as part of his family. The Bible says this, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. That means that something that God's been planning to give to his kids. The kingdom prepared for you. It is being prepared for you. Circle you. Heaven was prepared for you. When? From before the foundation of the world. Now, if you only get one thing today, you need to get this. There is more to life than just the here and now. You may spend 70, 80 years. This, this week, R.C. Sproul went and promoted, went to see Jesus this, this week. Very famous theologian. Now, you may get to spend 80 years, maybe a little less, maybe a little more. You know what? That, that's a good thing. You would not want to live forever on this earth. Because you don't want to live in an imperfect place forever. I don't know about you, but one thing that comes with imperfection is maintenance. You know, maintenance, you're always fixing stuff. You just get it fixed and you get to paint the house again, right? Everything runs downhill. But you do want to live in a place that's perfect forever. And God says, I designed heaven for you. And he said, I want to express my love for you by creating human beings so that I can adopt them into my family 
Not to be a God, not to be an angel, but to be part of my family. Ephesians 1.5 says this, God's unchanging plan. By the way, God never changes his plans because he never makes mistakes because he's got perfect knowledge. Wouldn't that be nice? God's unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing himself uh, bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this gave him, I love this, great pleasure. Now many of you know in this room, my daughter has just recently adopted two little children in Uganda. And let me tell you, it gave Helen and Tim great pleasure to adopt them. They are delighted in the same way. So God takes much pleasure in adopting you into his family. Now, there's a word for God's family. It's called the church. 1 Timothy 3.15 says, God's family is the church. So one has to be a little careful, a little circumspect, sometimes even in your own family. Some of you may irritate you a little bit, but for the sake of the family sometimes, you're a bit more forbearing. You're a bit more gracious. One day, this earth is going to burn up. And the Bible clearly says the church is the only thing that's going to last. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1.4, God has reserved for his children the priceless gift of eternal life. The priceless gift. That's heaven. And it's kept in heaven for you, pure, undefiled, it's been not corrupted, beyond the reach of change and decay, which is what happens to all of us. You get a brand new car, that's fine. It'll go down to hell, trust me. Everything goes the same. So what is heaven? It's a place that he's preparing for his family. Now the Bible also calls the church the bride of Christ. And the bride is very, very precious to the bridegroom. And he says, I'm preparing this place for my bride. The Bible says this, this is God's purpose, that when the time is right, he will gather us all together from wherever we are in heaven. Those who've already died on earth, those who haven't died yet, to be with him in Christ forever. And again, a great verse that in uh, Hebrews thirteen fourteen says, For this world is not our home. We are looking forward to the city in heaven which is yet to come. So once you become part of God's family, there's a whole lot more to look forward to than the here and now. Because to be frank, stuff down here doesn't last. Relationships don't last. Things don't last. God says that your ultimate home is in heaven. Now the question is, where is heaven? And the answer is, heaven is not a place on earth. It's literally out of this world. We could go to the three levels, but we haven't got time this morning. You can look into that. That's why the Bible says... In many places, in like Psalm 52, 53, 2 here, it says, God looks down from heaven at people on earth to see if there are any who are wise who worship him. Not all people are wise. Well, we don't know the exact location of heaven. We do know the way. And Jesus made it really clear, right? Do you remember the way? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man can come to the Father except through me. The Bible says this in Romans 3. God has shown us a different way to heaven, not by being good enough. And by the way, none of us can be good enough to get into a perfect heaven. 
and trying to keep his laws, but by a new way promised in the scriptures long ago. Actually, I've mentioned before, you can see even in the Old Testament, there's a term, if you search your Bible, it's called the eternal gospel. It's always been there. God knew ahead of time what's going to happen. So what's heaven like? The Bible says heaven's a mystery. Partly because we live in this weird world called a 3D world. And we're starting to understand there's more than just a 3D. We live in a planet which is ruled by a 24-hour rotation. So we have this concept of time. Now, if you weren't living on this planet, you would not have the same concept of time that you do in space. The Bible says this in Job chapter 11. Can you understand the mystery surrounding God Almighty? Oh. They are higher than the heavens and deeper than the grave. So what can you do when you know so little? Are these mysteries outreach to the earth? All these mysteries, you should say, uh, outreach to the earth and the ocean. When I was 16 years old, my mum said to me one day, Ian, we're going to take you back to England, but on the way there, you were going to take you and the boys, we're going to go to a place called Disneyland. Now, I'd heard about that, because Disneyland used to be on Sunday. Didn't matter how much mum told me about how great Disneyland and explained what it was going to be like. You can't understand that until you go there. In fact, the first time my wife went there, she said, I'd just go to Disneyland. I'd fly all the way to California just to go to Disneyland. It was out of this world compared to what we ever had understood. We couldn't even imagine. And the Bible tells us similarly in 1 Corinthians 2, no eye has ever seen No ear has heard, no mind has imagined, some say conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him. Now I can have a pretty fertile imagination. I guess the best I can do is think the top ten experiences of my life, factor that by an exponential factor of a billion, and that must what it be like. That's what it's probably like to be in a perfect place. Yet the Bible does give us Some important information about heaven. Five things about heaven will be like, and five things that it won't be. First thing is there's going to be no sickness in heaven. The reason why your body degrades is the corrosive effect of sin on it. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 18. Everything in the heavens has a body, and so does everything on earth. But each one is very different. These earthly bodies will die. You will die unless Jesus comes back before. But the bodies that are raised will live forever. Our weak bodies, this is a nice part, will be beautiful and strong. The Bible says there won't be any sickness, no more pain, or death in heaven. 1 Corinthians 15, 50. So you get a perfect body. Then the Bible says this, just as each one of us now has a body like Adam, that means we have a human body that's corrupted by sin, someday we shall have a body like Christ's. That's when we get the new body. You've probably read that. So no more sickness, no more decay, no more pain. And for some of you today who have suffered chronic pain, you go, yes, finally free. There'll be no more grim diagnoses. One of my friends, 30 years old, was told last week her life changed upside down. Boom. We need you in here next week. We have found something in your knee, and it's not good. And you think, knee? Yeah. Things can change. There'll be no need for medication for pain anymore. No more hospitals or crutches or wheelchairs or cancer wards. That's gone. 
Second, this is really good. You yeah, understand why too? No more sadness. The Bible says God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So when you get to heaven, there'll be no disappointments and broken hearts. Rejection. Rejection hurts. No more loneliness. No more sorrow. No more heartache. That's what you can expect in heaven. Not a second in the trillions of years will you have sadness or grief or depression. Gone. Third, no suffering. The Bible says there's no more hunger, no more thirst, nor no scorching heat. Fourth, no sin. The Bible says God will bring you into his glorious presence, innocent of all sin and with great joy. See, heaven is a perfect place. I'm not perfect, and neither are you. We've all blown it, but heaven is perfect. So how can God possibly let imperfect people into heaven? If he did that, you'd corrupt heaven, right? That's what Jesus Christ came to do at Christmas. To pay for all our sins and to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And to adopt us into his family. Can you imagine what that would be like? To live with no fear, no guilt, no resentment, no depression, no anger, no jealousy, no bitterness, perfection. But you're still going to be you. And you'll be a whole bunch more fun to live with. And so will I. Number five, there's no death. The Bible says there shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no crying, no pain. All that's gone. Now, five things you will find in heaven. The first thing you're going to find is reunion with every other believer. Some of you already know people who've gone on ahead. Some of you asked last week for a, um, a, a peer-reviewed paper, just one of the many, on the existence of the soul. That when this body stops, see, it's very difficult to go from chemistry to code and from code to consciousness. There's a bunch of stuff that scientists are, are grappling with right now. So the first thing you're going to find in heaven is reunion with every other believer. The Bible says this, as we looked at this verse earlier, this is God's purpose, that when the time is right, he will gather us all together. There's going to be a reunion. He will gather us all together from wherever you are to be with Christ forever. So who's going to be in heaven? Well, obviously, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Angels be in heaven. The church is going to be in heaven. That means everybody who's put their trust in Christ to save them. So Hebrews 12 says, You have come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, that's heaven, and to the gathering of countless happy angels and the church. The church is going to be there. Every believer, doesn't matter whether you're a Baptist or a Methodist or a Catholic, doesn't matter. Composed of all those registered in heaven and God who is the judge of all the spirits of the righteous people made perfect. So a common question I often get, maybe you've had this too. Is what happens, Pastor Ian, for all the babies that die? Friends, babies that die will be in heaven. Even in New Zealand, sadly, we are bought 12,000 babies every year, sadly. They will go straight into the loving arms of Jesus. Every miscarriage, every stillbirth, every abortion. Straight into the loving arms of Jesus. Second, we're going to have rewards. What are we going to be rewarded for? Well, the Bible says God takes note of everything that we do in our lives. 
You'll be rewarded for the actions you took that were good. The character that you sustained when you were tempted. Your prayers and your generosity. Your sacrifices and service. And your persistence in not giving up when you felt like giving up. In fact, if you look at all of the churches in the book of Revelation, to each one of them, there's one thing that's in common. And you know what it is? There's a phrase, to him who overcomes, who sustains and endures to the end. Interesting, that. The Bible says you'll be rewarded for loving your enemies. Very easy to want to punch them in the nose. But the Bible says, no, no, no. I've called you to a new life. Your life, sure. I'd have done that. The Bible says you'll be rewarded for bringing people to Jesus. That's a serious point. The Bible says you'll be rewarded for putting up with criticism for being a Christian. You think, what? Yeah, I do. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew 5.11, Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice, be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they, the prophets, which were before you. Christianity can be tough down here because the world's going to rub you the wrong way and trying to sweep you into its, into its own mold. God's saying, I'm watching, and I'm going to reward you for standing strong on the things you need to. But do so with gentleness and respect. You can be st- strong. Humble is strength under control. You can be very sure of your opinion, but you have to be gentle in the way that you express that. So God's going to reward us for what we do. It's got nothing to do with salvation. That's through the finished work of Jesus Christ alone. Let me be real clear one more time. You cannot get into heaven based on your good works, but you will, and we forget this, be rewarded according to your good works. Do not forget that. The Bible says, even if you give a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. So this week, we had Nerf gun wars right near. Youth were charging around, half killing each other. But that took organization, that took effort. Today, with Kieran and Chris and Darren and next door through here, we've got teachers that are teaching all-stars upstairs, Kimberly and the others, with, with sparkles. Every nose that you wipe, for Jesus' sake, every Bible story that you share, God says, I didn't miss that. With rewards in mind, the Bible says this, love your enemies. Do good to them, but they don't deserve it. He's not even asking that. Either do you deserve the grace of God or me. Lend to them. Ooh, this is getting hard. Lend to them and don't be concerned that they may not repay you. Now, this is, by the way, just to be a point of clarification. If you read that in context, it's not talking lend them 100 grand. So I'm not saying that, all right? (laughs) Then your reward in heaven will be very great. In other words, don't be always, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? Why should I do that? What's in it for me? If you're looking for that, you'll get your reward here. That's not what your reward will be in heaven. So here's the thing you're going to decide. Do you want your rewards in this life or do you want them in the next? Now, if you want to get rewards in this life, popularity, fame, and all that stuff, 
How long do you get to, to, to enjoy the benefits of that for? Maybe 80 years. But if you build your rewards in heaven, you have trillions of years to enjoy the benefits. Now, it's our perspective that we need to get adjusted. So we get this one point. There is more to this life than the here and now. So you've got to decide what you're going to live for. Are you going to give your entire life for possessions? Jesus would say, you fool. You fool. You're taking not a cracker with you. Tough, eh? Many of the disciples walked away when he said things like that. And he looked at them and said, will you walk away too? So, the third possibility, excuse me, the third thing that there's going to be in heaven is responsibilities. Responsibilities. You're not going to sit around in a cloud doing nothing in heaven. God will use your shape and your experience and your personalities. What are you doing with what you've been given? Jesus handed you some of you gifts, opportunities, talent, treasure, connections. Is there anything you're doing with those gifts to move the kingdom of God forward? The Bible says it like this in Luke 16. And Jesus is speaking. He says this. Unless... You are faithful in small matters. Talking about here on earth. You won't be faithful in larger months. If you're cheating on the little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. You're talking about heaven, if you read it in context. And if you're unworthy with, untrustworthy with worldly wealth, in other words, possessions and riches that God gives you here on earth, he asks this question, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven. I know some people say on something small, well, when I get you know, some more money, then I can help other people and stuff like that. If you don't do it with what you've got now, if you don't do it at university, you're not going to do it when you get more. It's an issue of the heart. God never expects you to give what you don't have. He expects you to share some of what you have. So it's not all for me. Now, the way that you and I manage our time, what's it all given to if you had a pie chart? Our talents, our monies, our opportunities here on earth is an acid test of our faithfulness and responsibility. And it will determine what you're going to do in heaven. I'm saying it will be smart. You need to decide where do I want to invest my time? Where do I want to invest my life? Because you'll either get your rewards here on earth or in heaven. It's your choice. It's my choice. Now, we said there's a, re- there's a reunion, there's rewards, and there's responsibilities in heaven. Life is a test, a trust, and a temporary assignment. It's preparation for eternity. So God is watching every single decision that you make to see if you're faithful. Are you trustworthy? The fourth thing in heaven, and boy... This is a good one. In heaven, there will also be a season of rest. That sounds really good, rest in heaven. Blessed are those who die in the service of the Lord. They will enjoy rest from their hard work because the results of the service will go with them. Only one life will soon be passed, right? Only what's done for Christ will last. That's when it talks about the burning of the wood, hay, and stubble. Number five. There'll be rejoicing 
We're going to worship in heaven. We're going to celebrate in heaven. This is what Jesus said. When you get to heaven, I want to be able to say this about you. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling small amount. So now I'll give you more. Let's party, one of the versions says. So how do you get to heaven? This is probably very, very important. Jesus said the door to heaven is wide or narrow. What? Narrow. It's narrow because there's only one way. That sounds incredibly politically incorrect. I don't care. What's care is the right answer. It doesn't matter what other people think. It's what is the right answer. How do you get to heaven? Romans 1.17 says this. The good news tells us that God makes us ready for heaven. He makes us right in God's sight when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save us. That's how you get to heaven. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scripture says, the man who finds life will find it through trusting God. Not in my good works, not in all my donations, or whatever else I do. That's a separate deal. That's fruit. Faith is the root. So it's only by humbly trusting God that I have any chance of getting to heaven. Remember, heaven's perfect, I'm not. So we come to God, as I talked about last week, simple, A, B, C, D. Firstly, I admit that I need a Savior, that I can't save myself. That my righteousness, my good works, are like a stained cloth. It's obvious that there's a blotch in my life. I need a Savior. There's no way I can get into a perfect heaven by myself. I admit I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. B, then I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The classic verse that all Christians should memorize is Romans 10.9. If we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. You may want to write that down. That is a pivotal verse when somebody says to you, what do I need to do to be saved? Get them to read that and say, what do you think that means to you? Then see, I confess. Again, that's the one I've just talked about. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So you say, God, I admit it. I'm trusting you. And then you depend on his promises. John 3.16. That's how you get to heaven. You must put your trust in Christ. Finally, and this is really important, a lot of Christians, I fear, stop right there. They get in by the bare minimum requirements. Okay, how then should I live? How am I going to live if I'm going to heaven? Well, if you know you're going to heaven, it completely changes your value system. It'll give you the courage to make courageous, strong decisions against the world's value system. So that means I'm no longer living for just the here and now. I want to store up rewards by putting up with criticism and responding to evil. Did anybody take any time to push back against the euthanasia debate that happened this week? When you see something from Bob, follow it up. It's great. Um, also, by my actions, my thoughts, my decisions, three things I want to wrap it up. How should I live my life? Number one, do not be distracted by temptation on your road to heaven. Wasn't it Phil Collins, that song, on the road to heaven? Remember that you're just passing through. So don't let the boibles and the bangles and the trinkets 
And the sins of this world catch you off guard. The Bible says this, 1 Peter, We are only visitors on earth. Since your real home is in heaven, keep away from the evil pleasures of this world, for they are not for you. They fight against your very souls. And the number one thing that's going to do that is sexual sin. Let me just tell you, right there. Sexual sin. Be careful at work. Be careful. People will try and trip you up. Be careful with very close friends. Getting too friendly. Once you're married, the best girlfriend you've got is your wife. And, and girl, the best boy you've got is your husband. Be careful about letting too many people too close into that. That's what just happens. It's not just sins that can keep you distracted too from storing up rewards in heaven. A lot of good things can distract you. They don't have to be bad. The next verse talks about some of these heroes of the faith. Hebrews 11. If they had wanted to, talking about Moses and Abraham and all these guys, they could have gone back to the good things of this world. Not the bad things, the good things. There's a lot of good things in this world too. But they didn't want to. They were living for heaven. Now God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has made a heavenly city for them. We are, the Bible calls us, a peculiar people. He's saying good things can distract you in your life. Do you know this? This may shock you, but you can give your entire life to a hobby. But friends, that is not why God put you on this earth. You can give your entire life to climbing the corporate ladder. You can give your life to fame or pleasure or travel, all kinds of really good things. And there's nothing wrong with some of those, but they're never meant to be the first place in your life. Don't be distracted by temptation. Number two, don't be discouraged by trouble. Yeah. I had one of those weeks this week. I had more trouble than I could poke a stick at. When you live your life in the light of eternity, in the light of heaven, trouble doesn't bother you quite as much as it used to. You just don't give up. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4. This is why we never give up. This is why we never give up. What is it? These troubles and sufferings of ours are after all quite small. And they won't last very long. That's true. I mean, Paul was talking about being beaten. How many times have you been beaten? Smacked in the face with fists. How many times is that empty? How many times have you been shit-wrecked? You check out how many times Paul happened to Paul. Flogged. In prison. Without food, being persecuted. Then he says, ah, these small troubles. Wow, what a perspective. <laughs> I love it. He says this, literally. These troubles and sufferings of ours are, after all, quite small, but won't last for very long. Yet this short time of distress will result in God's richest blessing upon us. When? When? Forever in heaven. So we don't look at what we see right now, the troubles all around us, the sickness, the sorrowing, the, the, the depression, all the stuff that goes on there. But we look forward to the joys in heaven, which we have not seen yet. Troubles, the troubles will soon be over, but the joys to come will last forever. I like that. So I don't know what trouble you're going through in your life, but I will tell you this. With absolute assurance, it will not last. One of my favorite verses is, it too came to pass. I like to get over this. Sometimes you've actually got to go through it. 
And God will still use it for good in your life because he says he works all things together. All things, even the bad stuff. Yes. There's no exceptions to that verse. For those who love God and are called according to his purposes. He'll help you grow through that and you'll respond in the right way and it will build your character. Now, many believers are going to enter heaven by the skin of their teeth. I've already alluded that once today. And I think one of the movies that brought this home to me more than anything else, and many of you have seen it, it is the movie Schindler's List. Have many of you seen that? Yeah, it's a tough one. And there's a very poignant scene at the end where Oscar Schindler is thinking about what could have happened if he had done more. If I'd spent less time on me, a more time and effort and brain power and money on saving the Jews, what could I have done? Why didn't I do more when I could have done it? Friends, that's a question. You and I won't be in heaven for one nanosecond. I don't know, for me, I'll be asking that. What am I doing right now? In the last four weeks, I've had people over every single week. People I don't know very well. I had a Muslim family over yesterday. Just to break some bread together, literally have some food. But if I don't make time to spend with people who've never heard of Jesus, how will he ever hear? This guy happened to play squash with. So him and his wife and his three kids came over. It's one small area. The week before, we had our neighbours, they arrived at 4 o'clock, left at 8.30. It was great, but you know what? The craziness thing, they said to us, Ian, if you hadn't done this, we'd never have done this. Thank you for doing that. It's not hard. It's just a cup of tea. A few cookies, that was about it. But we've got to reserve some time. You and I will not be in heaven two nanoseconds and we'll ask ourselves this, what was I thinking? How did I fall for that? Why did I spend so much time trying to impress people? with my latest BMW or whatever it may be, or trying to be popular, or trying to pile up a whole bunch of money, which I'm going to give to people who don't even appreciate it. And by the way, half of them I don't even know right now. What's all that about? What was I thinking? Trying to get all that I could out of life. I had no time to serve God. It was all consumed with other things. No time to share with other people who probably would never pay me back. No time for what matters most. Why didn't I do that? Friends, so much of what you and I do is not going to last. God is watching, and it's a test. You need to be asking yourself, will this last? Does it deserve my time? Does it deserve my money? Does it deserve my reputation, and will it last? Third, focus my energies on what will last. Notice in... Colossians 3.2, let heaven fill your thoughts. Remember before, set your sights on heaven? This one says, let heaven fill your thoughts. Don't spend time worrying about stuff down here. Excuse me, it says worrying about things down here, that version. Here's the third thing to do. When you read the Bible, notice there are going to be two judgments in heaven. There's one for sin, and if you're a Christian and Christ has covered your sin, you'll be spotless and perfect. But there is another one on rewards, what you did with what God gave you. And the Bible says, he who has trusted the Son will not be judged for sin. 
Why? Again, you get to skip that because of what Jesus has done. That's great news. But then there's a judgment for the rewards. Here's what I'm going to give to you. For the time you did that, for the time you were kind and people rebuffed you, for the time you were generous, the time that you sacrificed, for the time that you spent that time with somebody who was really lonely and you took them out for coffee, you took time out of your busy schedule and you didn't see it as an interruption. You saw it as an opportunity. The time you brought that friend to church, the time that you sat with your neighbor when they were going through that divorce and it was a mess. I was all watching. I was watching all that. And I'd like to reward you. Paul says this, last verse. I run toward the goal. Now, Paul has seen many Olympic games. They were all the way back then. So he knew what this is about. He's watched it in the amphitheaters in Ephesus. You can go see those. They're still there today. I run towards the goal. This is not just aimless wandering. He's focused. He knows where the finish line is. So that they can win the prize of being called to heaven. This prize that God offers is because of what Jesus Christ has done. And Paul says, I'm pressing on. I'm pursuing that which Jesus Christ took hold of me for with the enthusiasm and the focus and the persistence of a runner in those games. He didn't get that by getting distracted by temptations or by discouraged by trouble. It's like running when you got the stitch. You've got to keep going. And he focused on what will last. As we close, there are two prayers I want to pray. Number one, some of you in this room have never asked Jesus Christ into your heart. And you've never settled this issue of heaven. If you were to drop dead or get the diagnosis that my friend got last week, it would turn your world upside down. And if you're not sure, you can make the decision today. Why would you put that off? Because there's one thing for sure, all of us will die. You need to accept that gift, free gift. And then secondly, I'm going to pray a prayer that you, for those of you who do know Jesus, that you would start to live in the light of eternity and start thinking of heaven and going forward instead of earth because this is not all there is. Let's pray. Firstly, if you've never ever invited Jesus Christ into your heart, would you say this? Would you say in, with the integrity in your heart, God, I am not perfect. I've sinned many times and I've made mistakes. A lot of time I've done what I wanted to do and had no regard at all for what you wanted in my life. And there's no way I can get into a perfect heaven on my own nickel. Father, I need your grace. I want to turn from my sins and I want to trust you. I want to put my faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for me. Thank you that you so love the world that whosoever would trust in you would have eternal life and not perish. So today I'm accepting what Jesus did for me. I'm saying, Jesus, I want you to be the first place in my life and I want to commit myself to you. Second prayer, all of us need to pray this one. Would you say, dear God, forgive me for being distracted by the things that are not going to last. Forgive me, Lord, for giving into these temporary pleasures and distractions. 
for probably spending more time on my Facebook and social media than I ever spend with you. Father, I don't want to be distracted. I want to live my life, the one that you've given me on earth, to be worthy of the calling that you've given me. Help me not to be discouraged by the setbacks and the disappointments and the troubles that I have, but to realize that you can use them for good, to strengthen me and to grow my character, to be more godly. Today, I want to refocus my values and start living for what's going to last and what's going to matter the most. Help me to be an active part of your church. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen.